And that's so misunderstood. If every man, for example, went out on their deck every morning and just released that energy and then went on with their day, a lot of people would be like, what's wrong with you? But the man would be like, oh, I feel better. And then they would be able to operate from their day from a much more grounded place. But that's not socially acceptable. That's why it's happening in Samoan culture and non-Western culture. Because we have this judgment towards masculinity all the time. So no wonder the locker room gets stigmatized in there. No wonder these emotional outbursts are like, you know, control your emotions. It's like, I hear you. I'm working on it. And this is my step because I'm doing it in a safe space. What a perspective. Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week, we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast. It's the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK, aka Coach Kyle. What's going on, my people? It's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, aka A Squared. And this man's coming to you live from a brand new country. He's in Tulum right now, which is wild. I love it. And I'm so jealous of this man. So he's, he's literally enjoying the beach. Not in this moment, but he has been enjoying the beach. You all don't even know how jealous I am. I'm out here in my cold, frigid winter of Calgary doing my best. Uh, but today we're going to bring you an episode that is, I think, really important to talk about. And as you can see in the title, it's breaking the stigma of the men's locker room. I think that there is a huge underlying narrative of what goes on in there. And a lot of men not necessarily sharing what really does go on. And honestly, after exploring kind of some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I realized I didn't even really know what was actually at play in a positive way in a lot of ways. So we want to debunk that. We want to break that stigma, talk about our experiences, talk about how society has portrayed this space and how we break that, how we open up this new dialogue in support of men's locker rooms. Because as we'll say in this podcast, it's actually really good for our mental health. But before we do that, you always know what time it is, my friends. It's Moooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooo
the same sides of you in a different way, um, just by being and engaging with other people. So, you know, obviously blessed to have the opportunity to come out here and, you know, gain these experiences, gain these perspectives. Um, but yeah, the, the vitamin D definitely helps, uh, you know, especially when you're getting text messages <laughs> from the team back home and the guys back home saying that it's so cold and minus 20 and minus 40. I'm like, I'm just trying to make sure I don't leave the AC on too long. So yeah. it's, a, it's, it's definitely a different environment, but I'm, I'm very, very, very extremely uh, blessed and humbled to be out here and able to have a job that allows me to pick up my laptop and go somewhere different. Um, True. And this is the first time I've got to actually like uh, cash in on those, those perks. So um, mm. it's been cool. It's been great. Damn. That's wild to think. I think for, for some of us who don't even realize how much time has passed, like 2018 for you like 2018 is four years ago, you know, even for some of us, when the beginning of everything in this world happened, it's still been like three years since a lot of us haven't gotten a chance to change our scenery and how much that really does support our mental health. I think it's crazy. And I think that would, that's what adds to another one of my mood checks. Um, I'm just going to drop a second word in there is hopeful. And I think that there's a lot of hope that's felt this year. There's a lot of hope being instilled in many different ways. And just knowing that there is opportunity this year for life to take a different direction for a lot of people and change lifestyles completely is, is exciting. It's very, very hopeful. And knowing that you're there, I'm not a big traveler, but just knowing that you're there, I just feel it like gives me hope that there, this year is going to be completely different and just something to, to really remember. So uh, glad that you're there because it's inspiring me, but that's my mood check, uh, excited and a little jealous uh, and hopeful. <laughs> How's your mood puppy? Love it. Love it. I'm, uh, how do I feel? Um, I feel very curious, uh, you know, coming out here has, you know, completely changed the curiosity. You know, I think that when you're looking at the same four walls over and over again, you kind of just get into the same kind of creative spiral of, you know, mm. just the same things over and over again. But coming out here, I feel like the curiosity is kind of my appetite for curiosity has kind of, um, been, been fed and been eating. And so I'm definitely curious. Damn. Um, you know, not being obviously now being a part of a podcast, when you come out here, you try to look around and see like, okay, well, do some of those norms that we talk about in North America apply here, you know, um, I'm in mm -hmm. obviously Mexico mm -hmm. and stuff now, but just looking around and just trying to be, uh, you know, have your finger on the pulse as best as you can. And um, yeah, definitely curious, definitely. Um, what else? What else? What else? I think curious is the best way to describe how I, I feel right now. Just very curious. Um even when I get back home, I'm like curious about like, okay, cool. Like, how am I gonna not just go back to old patterns? Like, how can I not be creative and in, in finding either what my next trip will be? Or how can you take a little bit of what you experienced here and the good that you experienced here and incorporate it back into your normal life and stuff like that. So uh, curious and creative, I think is definitely, you know, two words that kind of summarize how I feel uh, in a nutshell, but mm, um, damn, I love that. And I want to ask a question off of what you just said in regards to the different cultures and societies before we get into today's episode. Is there something that has been like alarmingly noticeable or maybe like not to the common eye noticeable, but to you and your very like very analytical and aware mind and, and, and eyes, has there been like this complete difference in how society kind of operates or like a behavior, behaviors that are not necessarily what are the same they are in, in, in Canada. Have, what have you noticed? Like what would be like the top one or two things that you really noticed that are different? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that if you've never gone to a country where it's very predicated on tourism, there's a real, real crazy feeling that you like, you get somewhere and you realize you're like, whoa, it's all about us. Like this, everything mm. is catered to us. You know, it's catered to 
the vacation people. It's catered to the people who are here to have a good time. It's catered to. And so, you know, when you come to, if you're visiting Toronto or you're visiting a place in Vancouver, you're not like, oh, these, all these people care about my travels. No, it's very much everyone's doing their own thing. That society is running on its own. You can come in and you can participate or you can enjoy what's going on, but no one's catering anything to you. If you've ever gone to like a Mexico or like a Bali, um, it's this crazy feeling you land and it's like everything is about the tourist because so much of that, you know, income is holding up that economy. So if you've never been a part of that feeling, that's definitely the biggest feeling that you feel. And, you know, I, I always remembered wanting to, you know, Bali being a favorite place of mine. And this is kind of a second coming of Bali. It's like a little mini, it's kind of a little mini Bali, a lot closer to Canada. Um, and that's the biggest feeling. I don't think there's anything from like, you know, a gender perspective that I can, you can, you can feel from, from the outside or it's, 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 it's a little bit, there's obviously the poor places. There's the places that are, um, uh, I guess more wealthy, uh, and stuff like that. But the biggest thing I always notice is the fact that you come to a place like this and it's all about you. It's everything mm-hmm. has been designed to cater to a tourist, which is like for a whole country to focus on that is I always find very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Cause yeah, well, I care, I was curious to like, what did that, what, what would this look like when we weren't traveling? Right. Mm-hmm. You come here, everything is all about you. I'm like, okay, well I couldn't even be here two years ago. So right. what were you guys during to doing that whole entire time? You know, like I, I would, I would have been curious to see how that looked when there was no tourists um, and everything was okay. on a standstill. Um yeah, it's that's the biggest thing I noticed. I think. Yeah, no kidding. It's a, a wild question to really think about. Like these countries really do rely on it to survive in so many ways. So, like, how creative did they have to get? You know, what did they have to af- af- change and do? Like, you know, in Canada, we're worried about the fact that jobs are not really getting filled and people aren't wanting to work, and because we're giving getting given money in a lot of capacity, but these tourist countries aren't having the same kind of experience. So you don't have this excess money that was coming in from tourism. Then you have no other kind of support. What do you, what do you do? More layoffs, more, you know, joblessness. Like I wonder how much that has really impacted them and how honestly, how excited they are in many ways for travel to slowly being open and across the world this year to know that they can finally focus on what they have for years and years and years. Um, it's never really been a concern. So the adaptability is crazy. Uh, the way that we kind of adopted this new space. I was talking to Gabby this morning about it. And she was like, you know, if you think about three years ago, and then you think about now in a lot of ways, you kind of forgot what happened three years ago, because you've adapted. It doesn't really cross your mind as much anymore. The adaptability is, is uncanny. It is insane and so powerful. So to put a whole nation towards that adaptability, I can only imagine how much that they've been able to figure out on their own because that's what they were. They were in a lot of ways, they were on their own. Yeah. It's the adaptability piece is crazy. I think that as human beings, you always forget how quickly you can change your, like how quickly things can change for you um, mm-hmm. and how quickly you, you adapt like that thing that even like I, I, you would remember working at your employer and they would come down with a rule that just in, when they first said the rule, you'd be like, no way. We've been doing this for so long. Next thing you know, two weeks later, you're doing the new rule and it yeah. can't even remember the old rule. <laughs> like True. It's, it's, it's not even something that, you know, you have to, oh, 
we're gonna have to clock in and out guys now and you're like no that's so it's gonna be so annoying i always love just clocking in and leaving and the next thing you know you're all clocking in you're clocking out and you yeah don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not even you're not even bothered by either uh-huh. um, so yeah i think that you know we don't we don't give ourselves enough credit for what we are able to create based on our adaptability as well i think that we think that we're so Amen. fixed and we're we're so, we're like like this whole example this whole pandemic should be an example of that thing that you think you can't overcome well the whole world has overcome a bunch of stuff uh, and has made it normal so you can overcome that little thing so mm-hmm. adaptability is definitely one of i think that mankind's like uh, greatest gifts is the fact that we are adaptable and that we can adapt absolutely yeah it's it's been an unreal and unbelievable process to be a part of and to be aware of, you know, just reflecting on however many years it's been since this all kind of began and how much we've had to shift and change our belief systems and our opinions and perspectives, and then our daily habits and routines, like we've had to operate our entire lives. And I think so much of what uh, happens when like the clock in clock out thing happens is like, it's not really about the clocking out. It's just simply that it's different. You know, that's so much of, of what we struggle with in the initial is that it's different. So our brain has to put in more power. And once we get beyond the fact that it's different, then it's the same, you know, like all of a sudden that difference has turned into the same and it's, it is no different. So it's literally just the resistance to change, which I think is hilarious, but so prevalent. And we all do it in all areas, Uh, just do it on a grander scale, like our experience now in this world. And it really kind of kicks your ass. Uh, Well, I think we could talk about that all day though. I think that that's such a great concept, adaptability. Maybe we'll make that its own podcast episode in the future. But I want to get back to the concept today because uh, I think it's fascinating. This one's fascinating to me and one that I've struggled with for a long time. And I'll explain more why in this podcast, but the men's locker room, boys, lads, I'm talking to you. I think we've all been at some point in a men's locker room as a man. And I think we all have our own perspectives on what it looks like and what it has looked like in there. And I think the hard part is that society has also had a vision and an attempted understanding of what is happening with men in the men's locker room. And I think there's a, there's some beautiful perspectives that are going to come out of this conversation today, because uh, I don't think society plays it out. Well, I think society makes it look like shit. It demonizes it a bit. You know, movies are a great example. There's a lot of movies where they show men's locker rooms as if they know kind of what's happening in there. And they make it seem as if everybody is the same in the men's locker room, which is something we're also going to talk about today. So I'll let you lead with your experience briefly here. Um, what do you think or what, what have you experienced is the stigma towards the men's locker room? Like, how do you think people look at it? I think, you know, first things first, I think, you know, um, the locker room, just like in life, is has this weird feeling of... People love talking about the negative and not talking about the positive. That's just Always. that's just how I think this world is. Um, I saw a really, I saw a basketball highlight the other night of like the, these players that were, had great games, and Russell Westbrook on the on the Lakers, he's been playing horrible, and there there was no reason for them to show his stats that night. He played brutal, and his teammate actually played amazing, mm. and they didn't show his stats on the board, so they put up these three stats two of them played amazing and then they just showed russell westbrook's horrible game to just showcase his horrible game Mm. even though one of his teammates had a career night and they didn't show his stat line at all 
in, in the media. They just wanted to point out that Russell played horrible, just to let you know, because that is going to get more attention than this kid who's never played before with a career high. And, you know, they need negativity to flow. Same thing with restaurants. You sit at a good restaurant, you eat a good meal, you don't say anything about it. You have a bad meal. You got Twitter figures. You're writing long emails. You're, you know, we have this canny ability to want to focus on the negative side of things. And I think that the locker room is a prime example of that. Um, Mm. I think that the locker room is a space where, you know, there is a lot of activity going on in men. It's like, it's like being a part of a a, a war. Uh, And it's about, it's like being a part of like a military, I should say, you know, you come in every single day to battle, you come in, you, you, and there's a lot of emotions. Sometimes they're positive. Sometimes there's negative. But what I think society likes to grab onto is the fact that they only latch onto the negative side of the locker room. And I've, mm. I, being someone who's been a part of a positive locker room, I've always taken offense to that because it bothers me because they're, they don't, they're not portraying the good sides of a locker room. And when I say the good sides, for example, I've never cried with that many men before at the exact same time. I've never had, mm. you know, heart to hearts and vulnerable moments and, you know, almost like, moments of like clarity, love and perspective than in the locker room, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, to me, it's like, that is actually a place where not only do we go to war, but we really show our our true selves to each other um, because of how long and strenuous the, the season is and how long you battle with your brothers. And that's where real brotherhoods come from. That's where, you know, in this world, we've tried to like create apps that, you know, help guys be more vulnerable. We've tried to, you know, push men to, to, to therapy, which both those things I think you should do if, 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 if you need. Um, but then we demonize a locker room. The irony in that to me is that the locker room is actually holding more space than therapy rooms for men mm-hmm. at this current mm-hmm. moment, <laughs> you know? So to demonize the only area that's actually holding the most space for men to me seems like an oxymoron. Um, and to only focus on, I guess, the immature sides of the locker room, the, the, maybe the the misogynistic behavior or um the toxic quote-unquote behavior that comes out of men's locker room or where men are overly being masculine they're showing their expression of masculinity which is seemed to apparently seems to not be something that people are comfortable with um that's all being demonized but that's all part of the men that's all part of the man experience Mm -hmm. um and so to me it's like it's not to highlight and to what I think is important in this conversation is not to dismiss toxic behavior, misogyny, but it's also Mm -hmm. to not just completely derail what a locker room does for people. Um, and what, what, what actually goes on in the locker room. Um, and you know, we obviously can go back and forth and share stories later, but I think that, you know, a locker room to me is the only time, the only place where I've really been able to see men in their vulnerable state and a genuine, honest, vulnerable, vulnerable state versus a forced, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it's for, for me, it's working off of everything you just said is like, it really has felt my entire life that I have been programmed to see a locker room in a misogynistic and patriarchal way and a degrading way. So I'm, I'm hyper aware as I went through my childhood uh, and my teenage years and some of my adult years in locker rooms, I was hyper aware of looking for these behaviors for this misogynism, for this patriarch, uh, patriarchal tendencies to this degrading of women, this sexualization of, uh, of, of women and 
disrespect, right? I was, I was looking for it because it's like, well, isn't this what's supposed to be happening in here? Like, this is what I've been told is the norm in these spaces, even though I'd been in them my whole life, I still felt like I was looking for them. And that's the, the harsh part about this perspective towards the men's locker room is that we don't, you know, we, that happens. Like we're, we're not trying to dismiss that sometimes that does happen, but in our, our pre-conversation to this today, Anwar said something great. He's like, you know, using a few men as the generalization of all men is a hard, a hard thing to navigate and very, very unhealthy, to be honest, because the majority of us in our experiences with locker rooms, like you said, has been actually quite great. And as I've reflected on this, you know, I've used this term locker room in our conversations, you and I for a while now. And now that I've been forced to actually look at my experience, it actually hasn't been what I've, the story I've created it to be. It actually was quite different, um, but it included both. It was an and both experience. And, you know, when I talked about movies earlier, I think that movies really do a big disservice because they only display uh, a lot of times the sexualization, the de degradation, the misogynism misogynism that's the only thing that they ever share so what can we really expect for other for people's opinions if they've never been in one and a lot of times it's it's women women have a really hard time with like what's going on in the men's locker room why are you guys so stupid like we're so quick to jump to toxic masculinity anything can be toxic masculinity these days and yet we're just being in a space with other brothers doing our best to figure it out together and sometimes that comes out in ways that you may not agree with, but we're just doing it in the safe space of brothers, safe space in a, com a camaraderie, a space, safe space of a team that's been brought together for a common cause. You know, like it, it's, it's how it comes through sometimes. And we'll, like you said, we'll get into examples more, but that's kind of my perspective is it's been, or it's supposed to be looked at as this misogynistic patriarchal um, disrespectful space. Um, and that I think does, men in sports, a huge disservice, huge disservice. Um, and I think it shows up in, in every way that we can, we can play. It goes left and right. It's up and down. There's 20 men in that locker room to think that 20 men are all on the exact same page is not accurate or realistic. It's going to adjust and be different dependent on um, each person's personality and experiences and the way that they were raised. So not every single guy in there is going to jump to, Oh yeah. Like I just did this last weekend with this chick. Like we're not going there a lot of the times. It's just some men are because they all of a sudden actually feel in a way they feel safe to share some of their life where they've never really felt safe to do so before. But it comes out in a really, let's call it misogynistic way because they don't know how, how else to ex express it. That's just what they're doing. And this is the safe space that sometimes a locker room provides. Um, and something we'll talk about today is it evolves. But yeah, society's played a huge part um, and do you feel like it's, it's affected you in any way? Because like I said, for me, it's, it's really challenged me in different ways in regards to my own masculinity, but you said you were really in a positive environment for the most part. And it was, it was actually a very supportive space. Um, do you, have you ever felt this societal portrayal of the men's locker room has affected you or has altered the way you, you act either in or outside of the locker room? Uh, I don't think, you know, I think for me, it's, it hasn't always been a positive locker room either. Right. It, I think a locker room is really built off of like, you know, just to kind of echo the right sentiment here. Locker rooms are led by certain people. If they're led by people who have, you know, the best interest for the group and the team and all of that kind of stuff, then you're probably in a positive locker room. 
you can't be in a negative locker room if there is, you know, the wrong people in the room. Um, and, and that's the whole, the blanket statement thing that we're trying to get off of here. Right. So mm-hmm. you could be in a locker room with those negative people and now you fit whatever the society's version of a locker room is, but then you can also be in a locker room that's very powerful and very, um, uplifting. And, you know, some of those, I still speak to some people, I still speak to like people from high school to this day because of locker rooms, you know, my, my, my best group friend, like my best friends, um, you know, some of them have all these relationships were developed in locker rooms and, you know, the brotherhood was kind of developed there and it's, it was nothing but a positive thing. So it would almost be laughable if someone walked into a room with, you know, me and, and a lot of my close friends and was just like, Oh yeah, the locker room is this, that, and the third, we'd ha- literally look around and have a laugh because mm-hmm. we only all got here because of a locker room. And, all right. uh, it would just be like, that is a, such an off-putting perspective um, because this whole thing, this, 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 this thing that you admire, like, yo, I love you and your friends. You look like you guys have a good bond. It looks, it's crazy that you guys have each other. These are the guys you cry with. These are the guys you, you know, you do, um, you know, you open up to, they're your, they're your safe space. All of that came from a locker room. So the, the irony to think that that's, that's the worst place that you could be is kind of flawed to add to that. I think one of the things that's super important to, to think about is, um, you know, I was kind of one of those people who wanted to be the locker room changer, you know? So this is why I also kind of took offense mm-hmm. to it is that I took a lot of pride in being the person who changed the locker room or was going to put the, we'd be like, okay, cool. And, and sometimes that, that came at the price of laughing at jokes that you maybe didn't think were funny. Uh, but then you have to kind of take, take the room and, and control the room by, you know, inserting your leadership, but you have to replace it with something else, right? Like immaturity needs to be replaced with information. It can't just, it can't just be. Um, and so for me, it's like people, so that immaturity that we see, like, we, I mean, we talk about how gossip can also be a bad thing. Right. So I think that like, you know, sometimes if we were to flip it and let's go to, you know, something that's more prominent in, 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 the, in the female culture and the woman culture, gossip's a lot more prominent in their, their culture than ours, right? We don't gossip as much as them, quote unquote. We have the locker room. They have gossip. Gossip in its immature, phase, immature state is also not really the brightest thing either. You know, talking mm. behind people's back and, you know, just, let's, just gossiping, the, you know, saying things that are potentially hurtful to, just to say, um, stirring the pot, you know, all of the things that come with gossip. But gossip doesn't have as much of a negative impression in society as the locker room. But it is the men's locker room version of gossip, right? Some of the stuff that's being said in, you know, in, in, in a young, immature adolescent mind. Um, and it takes time to kind of evolve those thoughts and flush those thoughts out. And because you're just all guys, you, you know, you, you, you're doing it together. And, you know, some people mature faster than others. And those people hopefully could start to change the narrative, change the conversation of the locker room. Like, what is important? What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, it affected me. Is, 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 is a way that I wouldn't answer the question, but what it made me want to do about it was kind of step in and be the person who changed the conversation of the locker room. How can we find a deeper meaning for what we do? And, and that's been kind of a prevalent, that's been a kind of prevalent thing about my life since, you know, I've Amen. always tried to find a way to, to create a deeper conversation about what we're talking about. I often look at society and go, the surface level version of society is pretty boring to me. It seems pretty dull. Like, I feel like it's just not, 
it's not it's not deep enough and i like the deep stuff so you know for me it's just kind of been a narrative that's kind of chased me around life is just you know how do you take that immature locker room and turn it into a locker room that's a little bit more deep a little bit more meaningful a little bit more impactful and that's kind of that kind of has carried me throughout my life so um that's what i would say about how it's affected me is, is it's kind of it's it's made me choose what kind of leader i want to be and what i mm. want to talk about um because it's one thing to listen it's another thing to speak and i think that you know you can choose what you listen to and you can choose how you want to change the room um but i think a lot of people sometimes what you get is the people that just don't have the don't have the voice to stick up and just go along with the joneses and that's where we get into yeah. trouble yeah because then it gets generalized then there's a lot of people getting involved all at once in this space where most don't really feel comfortable in but it's just the way it's going and the voice isn't there i think an interesting part that i have come to realize in reflection of what locker rooms have been in my life is that it really is uh, dependent on competition level competitive level what level you're at i think really changes the way the locker room is presented and i find from my experience that Uh, the higher you get in the competitive level, uh, the more serious and more profound and more impactful the locker room ends up becoming. You know, there's, there's more of an actual focus on what are we, what are we here to do? We're not here to play games. You know, we're here to, to kick, to kick ass. We're here to win. We're here to get to the championships and take home the big trophy. Like we're here to, for a much more common goal. So get to work. And it changes the way in which the, the thought process is expressed in the room. And it changes the way everybody acts when you win and acts when you lose and what comes from that and everything is, is shifted. So I think that's another interesting part too. It's, it's, we're, we don't want to generalize a all sports and b all sport levels, uh, because the people who are not really necessarily serious about the sport and they just want to play are distracted and are in other areas of their life that may not be serving the locker room. Totally. Like, a, you know, I played soccer, my, my sport was soccer. And so, you know, for example, if you were to play like a level six, div six, right? Like you're not really focused on necessarily winning as much as you are just going out and having a good time. So when you come to the locker room, the game's irrelevant. What happened on the field is irrelevant. So you're just going to talk about the things that you think you're supposed to talk about and not the actual game that you're playing where you play top level one, div one, and it's different. You're like, why did you not pass me that damn ball? Or how could you miss that shot? Or damn, I can't believe how good we played. Like all of these things start to come because you're actually paying attention to the, the actual sport you're playing. So I think that the stigma generalizes all levels and all sports and every sport is different and every level is different. So what we're trying to do, we have different sports. So this is going to be perfect because you have basketball, I have soccer. And so I think that everyone has a different vision of, of soccer players and a different vision of basketball players and hockey players and all this stuff and so um, we won't be able to speak to those other sports but uh, yeah i think it drastically changes in that respect yeah i think i, I think as a guy who played a lot of sports actually um i think i yeah, i played volleyball i played soccer i played football I played badminton i played hockey um so you know i played i played I you played, played hockey of, i did play hockey was my favorite, first favorite sport to be i honest. did not know that how old were you i grew up in vancouver a lot of skateboarders a lot of hockey players mm. you know fit in or get out so my uh poor alone for those who actually know me and you're like this guy's not from vancouver <laughs> um and yeah, hockey was my first favorite sport. It was uh, it was my first email address ever was hockeymaster3 at hotmail.com. No way. Yeah, man. I did not see that coming. 
I know a lot. Of I literally that. only see in your entire life from the time you were birthed until this day is a ball in your hand, ready to shoot hoops. That's all I see. No, basket. I actually was a late bloomer. I started playing basketball in grade seven. Okay, wild. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basketball was a sport that I, I used to just like twenty one, like game twenty one in the gym, but never really was like. Like I watched, like I would listen to the radio. Like my mom would tell me to go to bed. I would be like listening to the Canucks game on the radio, like mm. on my alarm clock on my bed, just like listening to the play-by-play. Um, obsessed, you know, and used to know like every single player, every single team. And, you know, that was back when like Jerome McGinley was hot. And like, right. you know, it was just like, it was, it was so many, so many things that I used to love about the game. But this is a weird conversation because it's just like at the end of the day, it came down to like, that just wasn't a game that my family could afford. <laughs> oh interesting like it just oh, was he's expensive super expensive sport so. you know it's a very expensive sport it wasn't a sport that you know had the love for it had the passion for it you know i think like for a hundred christmases in a row i got a hockey stick like it was just like <laughs> that was what i like to do i ended up playing like roller hockey um on an actual team and stuff like that and that was the closest i got to playing on an actual team um but yeah like ice hockey the the price level is super expensive and you know my family really couldn't afford it and so i just started to branch off and start doing other things once i kind of realized what the writing on the wall was and started playing all these other sports but the interesting part is that I just found that all those, you know, all those locker rooms kind of had the same. Um, they kind of all felt the same to me, regardless of the sport. I do know that hockey has a, a bit of an extreme like hazing protocol and like how they mm -hmm. how they what they deal with their rookies and stuff like that. And that's been shown in the news a lot. And, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the locker room from the hockey guys specifically gets a different rep and a different reputation. So I'm not going to speak on that, but like, you know, most of the locker rooms that I've ever been a part of is a group of guys who are seeking direction, have skill and like anything in life, you know, a room full of people with no leadership doesn't go anywhere, you know? And I think that like the most, the worst locker rooms are the ones that have the least amount of leaders and mm -hmm. the best locker rooms are the ones that have the best leaders, you know? Um, and I think that coaches and, you know, people put these teams together, their biggest job and their biggest goal, and we can even get it off of sports and make it into business. Whatever you want to talk about is the people mm -hmm. who they actively think about, um, you know, the leaders in the room, you know, and because the dark days are going to be the dark days, the bad days are going to be the bad days. And who are the leaders that kind of can overcome adversity and can make sure that they're preaching the right message every single day um, and can. But when you have a room that's full of a lot of misguided people and the leadership team is very immature in their own behavior then you can lose a room really quickly and it can become a toxic locker room very very fast mm -hmm. um so that's what i've always noticed is that um locker rooms need leaders and uh if you get the right leader and you have the right voices saying the right messages um and coaches can only do so much so i've always i've always kind of been you know i mean someone could call me a player coach i would i would accept that label but I think that, you know, that player coach leadership type of person who is sharing the message, but not from the coach's mouth. Those are the people that, you know, can cultivate good room, good locker rooms. Um, and I think because of those people, you end up getting locker rooms that have extreme level of um, here's a great example of what I mean by like a massive outburst of a masculinity followed by holding space. Mm. Someone might come in after a loss, pick up a garbage can and throw it across the room. 
all the time. And then go to their go and then go to their locker room and like yell a couple swear words back to back to back to back to back. That's a lot of that's a lot of that's a lot of testosterone. It's a lot of masculinity. That's a lot. That's that's like wow. Okay, you are heated. And then it's followed by like t- let's talk about it. Like what's going? What what happened? Right. And now you have this person who was allowed to have what would be deemed as a temper tantrum. Right. They right. had that moment. That's passed. They're now here to talk about how they got to that moment, and collectively we can understand what that is and we can move past it and we can collaborate and figure out, okay, what went wrong? How did we get them to that point? How did we, mm-hmm. now I'm not saying that you like, I'm not saying I want you to go into your family house and pick up a garbage can and be allowed to throw <laughs> it across the room and then swear your face off. But these are the building blocks to being able to express yourself. Right. right? And the locker room kind of allows you to do it in the most authentic way that come feels to you, you know, right. and then you got to find a way to take, cause even the days that, you know, I'll, I'll throw my hand in the bucket. I've had that day where I've done that. Right. After you come down from the, the, the really crazy version of your expression and the team talks you through it or your coach talk, whoever's your, your guy talks you through it and you flush it out. They always leave you with the, can you now say that without throwing the garbage can though? We don't need you to throw the garbage can, right? And that right. to me is like the therapy part, right? Is is the, hey, you got all that out. Now we know what's wrong. Next time, let's not throw the garbage can though. We don't need to throw the garbage mm-hmm. can. And I think what what happens, the reason why it's so much easier to suppress for men sometimes is like the way they want to get it out, they don't think is acceptable. So they just mm-hmm. push it down. And I think that right. one thing I love about the locker room is that it's a bunch of men and we preach this on this podcast all the time being authentically themselves and expressing right. their emotions. And, and, and we are, we're the, it's a place that's getting demonized. And I, I, I take a, I take a lot of offense to that because we want authentic men. We want men to express their emotions and we want men to be vulnerable. And in my opinion, the locker room does all three. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so eye-opening when you shift that perspective to what's re- was really going on. And that's what I was hoping to do with this with you today. And I know you the same and breaking the stigma is like it's really just shifting the perspective of how everyone's looking at these experiences. You know, I remember for me one time it was halftime and how many halftimes I was pissed about my performance that I went into the bathroom and punched the the stall door. I was so pissed or I'd kick the door or I would, um, you know, just go out there and have some sort of emotional outburst because I just couldn't contain it. I couldn't hold it. And that was in my earlier years. And then I'd go back into the room and realize other people were pissed too. understand that there's relatability here. And then we would have our halftime chat and then, you know, I would move on with my business. So it wasn't always at the end of the game, but what that is showing us is that uh, we have so much more emotion than we anticipated in our body and in, in our lifetime. And sports is really a, a great way for us to move that energy. It's a great way for us to understand that energy. So if, like you said, leadership is huge. If you have the leader that says, hey, you know, can we do this without this? Um, then you can learn from that, right? And it's like, oh, okay, you actually are right. Like, that's actually pretty simple. Like, I don't have to throw the garbage can. You're right. Like, I'm actually right pissed, but I didn't have to throw the garbage can. 
It's just an emotional expression. And I think the hard part about it is that an outsider looking in into that experience says, why are you being such a toxic man when it's, it's not understood? That's the hard part. It's not fully understood and it couldn't be understood unless if you were in that experience with us as a man in a man's locker room. So if you go home and you throw the, the garbage can where your mom doesn't understand that level of testosterone and feeling in your body, so she's not going to be able to work with you on that. Neither is your partner because there's not a deep level of understanding of like what is actually going on. But the brothers in the, in the locker room, they get it. They understand. They don't want you to throw the garbage can because like, come on. But at the same time, they understand why you did it. They, they feel that same urge. They just didn't do it. You were the one that did it. And that's just how it went. Someone ends up, it's always someone, right? There's always someone that ends up doing it. And the, you're literally looking at it like, that's exactly how I feel. That garbage across the room. That's exactly how I feel. And that level of understanding can allow us to see like, oh, like look how much emotion I'm, I'm, I'm feeling and not expressing, not sharing. This isn't necessarily related to the locker room sports, but uh, in the Samoan culture, from what I understand, and I apologize if I get this wrong, there is a ritual where they go to a waterfall in nature and they literally have uh, an emotional release, which is in the form of actually just yelling into the abyss, yelling up to the sky, screaming, hitting the water, hitting the ground, like just releasing that emotion to the, to the fullest ability that they can. And that is their way of embracing their emotion. Now, some people can watch that video and say, why is this man yelling? Like, what is wrong with you? Can't you just talk about your emotions? And it's like, I can a hundred percent, but the level in which of testosterone is boosting inside of me is preventing me from doing so and wants me to act it out in a physical way. It wants to be expressed in that way. And that's so misunderstood. If every man, for example, went out on their deck every morning and just released that energy and then went on with their day. A lot of people would be like, what's wrong with you? But the man would be like, oh, I feel better. And then they would be able to operate from their day from a much more grounded place. But that's not socially acceptable. That's why it's happening in Samoan culture and non-Western culture, because we have this judgment towards masculinity all the time. So no wonder the locker room gets stigmatized in there. No wonder these emotional outbursts are like, you know, control your emotions. It's like, I hear you. I'm working on it, and this is my step because I'm doing it in a safe space. What a perspective. What a perspective. And I think that, you know, I, I, I want nothing to, I want nothing more than to see the lock. Like, I think a good locker room is one of the best things for a man, you know, one of the most powerful. You're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, obviously we all don't play sports, right? And I think that in my mind, when I think about support, like, you know, support systems, I think about systems like a locker room, you know, mm -hmm. I think about like a collective group of people that you can lean on, that you can talk to, that you can express fully who you are and how you are and not feel judged. Um, you know, there's this big, um, to me, there's this, there's this, there's this ideology that we want men to be more vulnerable. And that conversation is, you know, it's got, it's got wind, it's got momentum. Then there's the conversation that we're having, you know, we might have other podcasts about this where, you know, real men cry and things like that. And it, it's, it's almost the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that like, we just need to let people express themselves how they want to express themselves without forcing it. 
And that's mm. how I've always felt is I feel like when we do have a conversation about masculinity in the world, all of a sudden now they want every man to, you know, spare his feelings all the time, talk about what's going on. You know, it's like there's, there, there is, or, you know, if there's a breaking point, please talk about it. Right. So we understand the breaking point. We understand the, um, but the, the everyday vulnerability is going to take time, you know, like there is, and I know that to be true because being in these locker rooms, there's a dude that comes in there on September 1st, beginning of the season, and he's not saying anything to you. He comes in, he's pissed clearly, he's not sharing a jack. He looks at you, he leaves. Mm-hmm. Now it's Here's December. Yeah. He's saying one or two more words, but he's still not telling you how he feels, right? That then and you don't even and this whole entire time, you know he's here for the mission, but you don't know if he's, you know, emotionally gonna like give in to what's going on here. Right. And it's like, I feel like I've seen that firsthand where it's like, you can't the, the, the poking the bear where it's kind of like, you know, you see that there's an emotional difference on somebody's face, you know, they've, they fix their face in a way that you can read that there's something bothering them. And you try to be like, what's wrong. You have to fix this right now. Tell me what's wrong. That mm-hmm. approach doesn't necessarily work. And it's never really worked in any of the environments that I've ever been in. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the constant showing up and showing this person that if you were to want to tell me, I wouldn't judge you. And that is where holding space has always started for me is, and, and, and being vulnerable myself, you know, like I've always said that, you know, I've, I will always share how I'm feeling with somebody, which then would maybe hope that hopefully allow them to share something about themselves with me. But this idea that, you know, just because we've shared to the world that men need to be vulnerable, so they should be vulnerable. We need to probably get rid of that. Cause I don't think that that, mm. that, that agenda doesn't really work, you know? And I think that we've created, um, we've created platforms, we've created so many different things to just like, you know, forcefully get emotions out of men. Um, but the reality is, is that like, I think that men are better off and men are more susceptible to this idea of a small group of people that they can trust and hold space for and speaking to those people and getting what they need to get out to those people and being authentically and genuinely who they are to those people. And if we can just create a bunch of pods all over the world of men who are supporting men, I think that Mm -hmm. we'd be better off. I think we're trying to have this large conversation where we're trying to get men to pour their feelings into this melting pot of like the abyss, the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I just don't think that that format's going to work. I think that one army one locker room, one pod at a time is actually how we'll find the the conclusion to what we're looking for, which is more authentic, more emotionally expressed and more vulnerable men. Mm, amen. Well said. Yeah, I think there's a lot there and a lot to work off of in regards to kind of how our work is put, is being uh, displayed in this arena as well. And I think that sometimes in a podcast arena, people take it as the ultimatum. So it's like, oh, you're just telling the general man to just do this and do that. You know, we have wisdom. We have we have hope, we have a desire, and we're here to help create change. Um, but no, we don't believe that it's going to happen on a mass scale tomorrow. Uh, it's going to happen in small pockets. One more man will listen to this. Uh, how did our journey work? It was one literal day at a time. It was not all of a sudden everything was perfect and I was vulnerable and everything. Ha- no, it was the same as that locker room experience you just shared. It took time. Still, I don't share some things in the moment with my partner because I don't feel comfortable being vulnerable, not to the hundred hundred percent truest possible way I could be. That's just the journey. I have resistance to it. And then over time I, I get past it because I realize what's happening and then I share, but it's not instantaneous yet, not in all capacity. So it's like, 
how can anyone really expect that when the majority of the world is just trying to figure it out? Not even the majority, sorry. That's, that's, that's not even giving it justice. The entire world, all men, like there is no man out there that can truthfully say, I don't feel resistance at any point ever with sharing my most vulnerable feelings, truths, and thoughts. You'll get there and you'll get past that feeling, but it's, it's not true. We're all just trying to figure it out because we all have these human emotions. We all have these human feelings and these, these human egos that are built to protect us. But to not get off topic, I realized I was, I was sending it left there for a second. Um, I think that uh, a fascinating part about this conversation we're having is that we did say at the beginning, we don't want to dismiss the fact that a lot of these experiences that people do think are happening in locker rooms don't happen. It's not true. Um, sorry, well, it is true. These things are happening to some extent, to some level. I've been in many locker rooms in my life. My experience has been all over the place. And in, in some of the locker rooms I've been in, there has been a sharing of misogynistic stories of degrading women in certain ways of sharing um, sexual experiences that are just like, whoa. And the, the language I think is really what changes that. And let me explain for a second. Uh, I was trying to figure out my experiences in locker rooms. It's been a long time. And I look back and I can see some of the stories that were being shared. But what I don't remember is the language. And I think the hard part for me personally is that I've had a struggle with the concept of masculinity for the majority of my life. I have never really had the opportunity until up in a few years ago to see a group of men together in a healthy way. Cause I haven't really been a part of that. And I haven't really been witness to it or heard many stories of it. It seems like it was always this degrading space. So my vision was blurred my entire life. My vision was blurred. I saw unhealthy versions of masculinity right out of the gate. So I just assumed all men were like that. And I, in a way avoided a lot of, of brotherhood experiences. So I struggle with it today. So in locker rooms, I had this vision of what it would look like. So reflecting now I'm thinking, okay, what were these stories like? And I've created a different story by saying they were misogynistic. They were incredibly disrespectful. All they talked about was sex and this and, and all this shit that I didn't care about, but that's not true. That's just a story I've created about my experience to match the person that I feel I'm trying to become or have been trying to become is that in a way it, it has made me feel better about struggling with getting along with a group of men all in one time. So it's, it's, it's allowed me to create that identity. It's, it's me essentially finding the proof, right? And so looking back, I think what's interesting is that in locker rooms, it's a safe space, right? You're in a room with a bunch of your, of your brothers and your, and men, and you're in, you're in technically in a safe space. So to share like a sexual story or sexualization of something like, oh, I think this girl is really hot or whatever. Like this is an expression of how you feel. Now, can it be taken into a misogynistic way? Yes. In the example of, of deeply uncomfortable for me to say out loud, but uh, yo, man, I just, I just fucked this bitch last week. Like, yo, she was crazy. Like that's misogynistic. That's disrespectful. Can you express that in a healthy way? Yes. Can you express it in an unhealthy way? Like I just said, of course you can. And I think that's the differentiator because one sees the, the experience as they were less than me. And one sees it just as an experience. So how it's being shared in the locker room, I think is huge. And for me, even if it was just shared at all, I would automatically see it as the degradation and misogynistic and patriarchy. That's how I would just see it without even knowing those words. Um, so I never felt good about it. So my experiences are very blurred. 
And so I've had to really dive deep into like what they really were, what they held for me, uh, what they did actually do to support me. And I, in a lot of ways in those times, like those were my best friends without a doubt that locker room gave me best friends. That sport gave me best friends. Um, and I wasn't a big speaker back then. So I wasn't speaking up in those moments, but I was just like, ah, friends, you know, similar to your story, community friends. Yes. I got like, perfect. You want to say some, some crude shit over there. Cool. Great. I won't acknowledge or embrace it. I'll laugh because I don't know what to do. I'm uncomfortable, but at least I got friends. And what I think we also need to talk about is, you know, what's the difference between a 16 year old locker room and a 30 year old locker room. Right. But before we do that, I need to know about you. Right. I think they also, the people listening want to know about your experiences with locker rooms. Have you experienced this um, left? You said you kind of did. There was, there's some tough experiences in locker rooms. What did that look like? Like what was going on there? I mean, I think you, I think you kind of laid it out. I think that, yeah, a lot of the same similar things is, is, is men expressing their experience in a way that made them more superior to, you know, the situation. Um, you know, and in the language in which they spoke about. And I um, mean, we still th- we, we see this in rap videos right now. Right. <laughs> like, this is not something that we're over yet. You know, it's it, this is if that's how your favorite rapper talks, then that's probably how you're going to talk. You know, it's right. a very much monkey see monkey do type of environment. Um, and so for me, I've always, you know, I've, I've always said that there's people who kind of run away from that. You know, they run away from it. And there's people who say, can I show them a different way? You know, and I kind of mm-hmm. took that approach of, you know, can I show a different version of this, you know? And right. even in my earlier podcast, you know, earlier podcast, I talk about the leadership style that I took like on the team, you know, the emotional leader versus, you know, the leader, the alpha dog, the the guy who leads from the front, who leads like, cause I saw what that looked like. And I, we had someone like that on my team and he was very good at it. You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was our leader. He was that kind of leader. Um, and I always thought I had to be like that to be a leader, right? Cause I was the best player on my team on all, all those other teams. So getting on a team where I wasn't the best player, it was like, what am I now? Am I not a leader anymore? Does that mean that my leader card gets taken away too? And it was like, no, I'm still a leader. Uh, I just need to figure out a different way to lead. And same way I was learning, you know, how to, how to be an emotional leader. I was, I, I was learning how to, you know, I love what you said there is like, I didn't listen to the language. Well, I did the opposite. I only listened to the language. Mm. Right. And because I was I'm not as I wasn't as it's so hard to be like, yo, bro, that's disgusting. Don't talk like that. What happens in that environment is that you lose that person and they just don't stay. Stop sharing things with you. Right. The other progressive way of just being like, hey, bro, why don't you just say you made love with her or something, you know, Mm. giving him a different word to use to replace the vulgar word that he knows, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's the only word that he knows because he's copying what other people Mm -hmm. are doing. And it's just months and years of this same kind of pattern of someone always kind of, you know, um, showing you a different way, a different version. And then you start to allow yourself. It's different when, you, when you're choosing between saying one word and saying another word versus saying the only word that you know to describe that experience, right? Mm-hmm. Massive difference. Because um, when you know, you know. And when you don't know, you don't know. And I think the biggest difference between, you know, a locker room that's 16 and a locker room that 30 is at 30, you know. Mm-hmm. and so misogyny and you know like you know toxic toxic traits and things like that at that age it it, it feels different yeah it, it feels like you got a different agenda out here you know but at 16 it seems a little harmless and a little 
a little ignorant. You know, you just don't understand really what yep. that means. Like um, ignorant, and ignorant is the perfect word. I think ignorant is is the word I've been trying to reach this entire conversation of like I don't want to express it to in a way that it says it's okay. You know, like no, the the language wasn't okay. Yes, it was degrading. Yes, it was misogyny. Yes, the, it was these things, but it was the ignorance. It was the ignorance at 16. You're just trying to do your best. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to, I mean, as a man, what are you focused on other than like sexuality? Like it's, it's, it's more frequent than anything to be the top of your mind at that point because of the development of testosterone in your body. So it's like, this is just what you think is supposed to be talked about. And it's also conditioned into us, especially our, um, our era, yours and mine. Like it's completely different. I can imagine now in a locker room today, as a 16 year old than it was when we were a 16 year old, like the ways in which that, that locker room operates is I guarantee you massively different because of the access to information, because of the words and the phrases we used to use that you can't use anymore. Um, the way that we used to talk, everything has changed. And so I think also too, what needs to be uh, part of this destigmatization is, uh, are you allowing for these spaces to evolve and grow in your own mind? Are you allowing your perspective towards it to grow as the world grows and changes and not meet everybody where they were at and just meet people where they are today? Like we don't this using of history as if, as if it's today is not beneficial. You know, there's things in the locker room in my time that you would say, you know, don't be so damn gay. Don't be gay. Don't be a bitch. Like all of these things. And these words are not words we use anymore. These words are not appropriate. And so they're not said in locker rooms. So things have completely changed, but it doesn't seem like in a lot of ways we're ready for that change because there's nowhere that's being shown that there's no current movies that are, have new locker rooms that are giving a new environment portrayed. It's just the same damn thing, misogyny and patriarchy and bullshit. It's like, I hear you. And I understand why you think that way. Can we, can we evolve? Can you allow this space to evolve? Because that's all we're trying to do. It's all the world's trying to do is evolve. And I think it's so um, unfortunate, but I think uh, hopefully as we continue to talk about some of these concepts that uh, it brings to light that what we're trying to do is evolve as well, evolve this idea of what masculinity is and how it's growing in this world. And to find the good in the comfort zones that some of these great men that we look at today were birthed from. And the right. locker room being one of them, right? Yeah, like, right. I think that we're, we're making it seem like men have been like, they've had no comfort zone. They've had no holding space. They've had no place to express. Um, they have, but they don't want to say that the locker room is where that was because of how you feel about the locker room. Well said. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's well like, said. it's like, Hey, where do you get, where do you, where do you feel the, the most at safe? Or where do you feel in the, most people, they'd be like, you know, in a team setting or in a locker room or with the boys, but you know, being with the boys is so demonized being mm -hmm. in a locker room is so demonized being in, you know, all these places that we actually seek a great deal of comfort and, uh, um, belonging is being demonized. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that, you know, what we should be more focused on is like, how to cultivate more of those locker rooms, uh, the good ones versus the bad ones and how to actually like save those spaces, you know, like I can, I can single-handedly say that sports was like the guiding light for me for a long time until sports was no longer, you know, mm -hmm. like when I think about, you know, having it, you know, having a, uh, an involved dad or all of these things, or, you know, like 
everywhere where there was a, 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 a father figure missing or a male figure missing in my life, sports played that role for me. It was like, okay, I'll teach you what you need to know about that. This is what failure looks like. Lose this game by one point and you played really well. How does that feel? Sucks. Right. Okay, cool. We got to move through that. Now this is what this feels like, you know, and I feel like the sports was teaching me so much about life and the guys that you're around during those times. It's like, it's like you're going through life lessons with other people. And that, that that's just bonding. That is a very, very bonding experience. And is there a couple ugly conversations during those seminars? Yeah, there's some some shitty conversations that we're not proud of. But the bigger picture is the fact that, you know, when I'm reading my text messages the other day, I have a friend who's out of town and he messages the group and he goes, hey, guys, uh, can one of you go over to my like my parents' house and shovel the driveway for them? Like there's like 30 inches of snow and like three guys without a bat of an eye are like, yep, yep, be there. I'll be there on Sunday. Just let them know I'm coming. Like blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. That was cultivated in a locker room. Right. So before you go running with a narrative that, you know, a locker room is a horrible place and that there's a lot of patriarchy and misogynistic and yes, those things exist, but the same things that you want for men, authenticity, vulnerability, being emotionally available and emotionally present and emotionally expressed. All those things also happen in a locker room. So it's not the locker room. It's, it's, it's the individual. And I think what's there's a, a story that just came to my head that I think aligns with this because I what I also want to make sure we include in this conversation is like yes we're destigmatizing the locker room but some of the perspectives that the world and society has towards the locker room are also just how society and the world views men being around other men like it's just it's a generalization we use the locker room as a space um, but there are just gatherings where they think that that honestly we're looked at in this very very poor way like we're doing like like the dumb shit that we do is wrong and i want to share an experience i was in banff recently and i had parked gabby and i were talking and there was a family walking in front of us and this little boy had a stick right when we're young we love sticks actually when we're older we love sticks to throw throw a stick in the water and tell me you're not grabbing a rock to throw at that stick don't lie to me that is like the go-to you have to so he has a stick and it's icy outside and his little sister is next to him and this is the crazy contrast between nature um and nurture kind of environment the natural process was happening right now the little girl was just dancing around she was just flowing she was just like embracing her her feminine energy and the little boy was taking this stick and just stabbing some ice that's it he was just stabbing some ice on this concrete pillar, just trying to chip away at this ice. And I'm literally watching this environment. Like, this is hilarious. This is literally the depiction of the differences between the, our, our people in the world. And it caught me so off guard. And the reason that I'm sharing this story is because it represents um, the, the man's curiosity. And that I want to go back to your mood check when you said curiosity. It is such a staple in what I know of the, the man's experience. We're such curious people and get another man next to another man. And that is just curiosity embraced. That is curiosity understood. Now, this isn't to say that like women aren't curious either, but I did have this conversation with my partner and growing up, she wasn't 
conditioned to be curious. That's just not how her environment was. And talking to a lot of her uh, friends, they weren't conditioned to do it either. And they were conditioned to essentially, in a way, appease the patriarchy. So they weren't told to go, you know, aspire big and do big things and, you know, live their life and go be curious about that and do that. No, they were said, be quaint, you know, be respectful, be kind. And we were embraced if we were jumping in mud and embraced if we were doing this crazy stuff and just being exploratory. And in the locker room, I think that's, and even just men being out and about in general, that is our curiosity being embraced. When we do some of these things that are considered dumb shit, we're just curious. We want to know what that looks like. We want to know how far I can kick that. I want to know what's under that rock. Like, I want to know these things. I just, I don't know why I just do. Right. And I, I feel like I know a lot of men who feel that same way. How can I, can I get to the top of that mountain? Can I get to, can I climb this pole? I don't know. Like it doesn't end. The curiosity is always somewhere. Um, and so when you bring these group of men together, it looks like dumb shit, but it's literally just saying, yeah, man, like you want to go figure that out? Go do it. I'll do it right after you. Like there's this embracing of something that feels so natural. Um, and sometimes, yes, that can be taken in a, uh, an unfortunate way where men do some, some pretty poor shit to, to women. Yes. And that's actually quite horrible, that, but that's an unhealthy support of curiosity. There's this curiosity in the opposite sex. And so things are taken to the wrong, to the level that's not okay. But the curiosity is really where I think it's such a staple in how we operate together as men. So this is what my part in saying, if you weren't part of a locker room, um, going out for a guy's night um, is just as beneficial, is just as healthy, and is just as brotherhood and camaraderie in a way, um, and can be if it's embraced that way. But there's also a stigma towards men going out, right? Because of a lot of the, I'm going to call it the unfortunate events, the, the, the bad apples that are taking things the wrong way and having, and I've been a part of that guys night out has been tough. Um, I have, I, I stopped doing a lot of them because of the conversations that were being had. It happens, but it's not the end. It's not everyone. It's not all of us. And a lot of these guys nights outs are actually really helpful, beneficial. They embrace curiosity. They embrace, uh, the, the curiosity about life, um, just in general, I think there's so much in there that, um, is positive. Um, and like you said earlier, we only just seem to latch onto the negative and say, this is the experience that always happens. And that's not true, especially as we age. What a good share. I think that, you know, something that kept coming up for me there when you were talking is just this idea of like, I don't know if you've ever gone on like TikTok or Instagram, there's like, there's always these videos of like, what they think boys night looks like. And it's just like mm. guys at the club and yeah. there's all these like alcohol and girls around. And then they like pan over and it's just like five guys on a couch, just like laughing and pulling each other's legs and like, just like playing stupid games in a basement and just yeah, like wrestling or something, just wrestling, just like being homies. And it's just like, to me, that is a complete, that's a depiction of the misconception of just like, this is what you guys think is going on. And this is what really is going on, you know? And um, I think that, you know, have this conversation come back to like a full uh, a way to serve people you know i think mm -hmm. that and to serve our audience specifically because you know i'm hoping that there's a lot of men being like preach amen like yeah man like the locker room was real for me like i actually appreciated mm -hmm. the locker room i think how you how you carry that out now is the more important part is like how do you take the lessons and the message and like what you what you took out of the locker room how do you now bring that out of the locker room into like the real world, you know, without feeling like embarrassed about the locker room because of like some of the uglier sides of the locker room. Right. Cause 
at its core, the locker room did hold the place for you. It did hold space and it understood you when you didn't understand yourself. So, you know, mm. in order to share with a partner or a colleague or whatever, whatever connection you're trying to make next in your life, it's going back and revisiting some of these locker room moments and understanding, like, you know, how did I first start to express myself? How, like, what was the environment that I was in? Why was I? And sometimes if you feel like you're revisiting a place that's being demonized as a man, you know, if you feel like you have this outburst of expression of like punching something or throwing a, a garbage can or whatever the case may be, like there's so many ways where, you know, I think as a man, you might want to react a certain way and you stop yourself, which just leads you to going back to the suppression, the suppression version of yourself, because you think what you're going to do is demonized or what you, what you, that you're like, oh, I don't want to say someone that, you know, the locker room was the best times of my life or, you know, the, like how many, how many times have I seen a guy get into a relationship and the girl hates the boys and now he doesn't hang out with the boys anymore because of what the boys represent. It's like, it's, it's time to educate people on what those environments actually do for us. You know, it's not about, and if your boys are the boys that are not the, not the right boys and it's, then you have to make a, we've had many conversations about, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cut people out of your life if they're not the ones that are serving your life. You know what I mean? And so, Hopefully one thing that I've ever, I've always had with my friends is that we've kind of evolved. You know, we went from 16 to 17 to 18 and it's a blessing when you can continue to evolve with each other because you don't have to outgrow each other. Unfortunately, some people outgrow friendships because their maturity level isn't growing. Your maturity level is growing. And those are the, those are prime examples of people that you want to disassociate yourself with uh, and, and find different groups. But finding a way to go back and revisit some of those areas where you first felt vulnerable is a great way to, to figure out how to be vulnerable um, and who was around during that time and what were the type of people that were around during that time when you were able to express those things. Um, and then hopefully that will lead you to, you know, building deeper relationships with the people that you're trying to build the relationship with now. Um, and for me, the locker room was like the first, like if I could think about like when I ever felt like I was sharing who I was to people, it was in a locker room. That's where it started for me. Telling my real story, you know, using my story as motivation for others. Like it all started in a locker room. That's where it all started for me. And so um, I am I am a little passionate about the, the stigmatization of, uh, of locker rooms because I think it's done me so well. Um, and it's allowed me to navigate life, both good, bad, and ugly. And I think that nowhere in life is pure. Nowhere in life is just good people everything in life has bad people, everything in life has good people. So it's your, it's your job to interpret what side of the line you want to be on. And that is unpacking the locker room. Damn, that is a one hell of a way to end it. And one thing that I'll just add is how good is all of that sound to the health of your mental, right? Like it's so, so impactful to your mental health in those spaces. And that's what I'm going to leave it with. And so there it is. We unpacked the locker room, we destigmatize the locker room. Uh, I think that there is so much to, from I've taken from this conversation that I didn't know beforehand that, that I forgot about, about my experiences. And I hope that all of you listening had the same vibe. I really didn't fully understand the impact a locker room had on my upbringing and the way that I developed as a man until now. There's so much there and I'm so grateful that we got the chance to unpack that with you and just kind of, you know, share our truth and know that it wasn't, it's not always all bad and that there's a lot of support in those spaces and, and we're here to support you in destigmatizing some of the things that you might feel pressure on. So thank you for listening. Y'all have been incredible. This has been a great episode. We want to know what you want us to unpack next. 
you know, things like the locker room are important and things like the, the grander patriarchy are also just as important. We're here to go from A to B, A to Z, all the way through the alphabet of all of the destigmatizations that we can do. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to download and ensure you rate us and we'll see you in the next episode. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.